Morning, everyone. Hey, uh, thanks for being here with us today again, whether you're in person or online. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to be with you as we are in week two of our series entitled Say What? Um, if you're just joining us this weekend, uh, the, in this series, we're recognizing that in life, from time to time, you run across something or someone, you read something, you experience something. And it just leaves you going, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to make of this. I don't understand this. I don't understand how to apply this to my life. And sometimes that's the very experience we have with some of the narratives, some of the stories that we read in the Bible. And yet, the Bible will tell us of itself that even the stories that we struggle to understand, that they're there to produce encouragement and endurance and hope. And so in the series, we've been asking ourselves, okay, then how do we get to, to the hope piece uh, when we're starting off with the bizarre piece? And, and we've said uh, last week that part of the trick in this is learning to dig beneath the surface of things like culture and history and language and context. And, and in doing so, being able to get to relevant meaning for our lives beneath all of that. And so in this series, each week, we're taking just one, just one of those stories from the Bible that is seemingly bizarre to us, and we're trying to unpack some of those elements and find relevant meaning for our lives in it. So let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this with us, and then we'll jump into this week's narrative. Father, just as we begin today, we ask that you would meet us, please, that you would Make our hearts receptive to you, receptive to your truth, and what it means for our lives. Father, we want to pray today for Hochi and Tammy Hernandez as they were highlighted on the church Facebook page this week. Thank you for an opportunity to partner with them in the church planning work that they're doing in the Dominican Republic. Thank you that they're having the wonderful problem of not enough space where they're meeting. Please help them to figure out uh, as they're trying to uh, navigate that and secure a larger space to meet in. Please help them as they're trying to do church in person and navigate the concerns with COVID. Please provide for them, protect them and their family. Again, Father, just help our hearts to meet you and your truth in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, this week's narrative is going to come from the life of Jesus. Last week we looked at Jesus. This week we're looking again at Jesus. In the weeks to come, we're going to go all Old Testament on you. Uh, but one more week in the life of Jesus. And again, uh, I, I don't know about you, but um, more times than I would like to admit, I will read something that Jesus said, I will read something that Jesus did, and just find myself going, what in the world do I do with this? Jesus, what, what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? How do I, I just don't get this thing. And, and today's example of this, it comes from Mark chapter 7. So if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, you can. You can bring it up on your device. It'll be up on the screens for you. But uh, today's narrative starts off like this. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon and went through Sidon down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and who could hardly speak. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, 
Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Epaphtha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they talked about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, I, I read through this, the narrative here, and there are a few things in there that just bring all kinds of questions up for me. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're just going to kind of unpack this narrative a piece at a time. And we're going to do so, one, just if there were things in there, you're like, I didn't notice anything strange. Hopefully by the time we get done, you're like, okay, that was bizarre. Uh, and two, um, we're going to kind of unpack this again just to try and dig beneath some of the elements that make this story seem strange to us on the surface. And in an effort to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to ask ourselves just a number of questions that will help us unpack this and, and get to the bottom of things. So the first question is this, simple question. Where are Jesus and his disciples at? All right, question number one, where are Jesus and the disciples at? And in the text here, it's pretty clear, they're in a place called the Decapolis, all right? Now, um, you may be like, well, what's the big deal with that? Who cares where they're at? It, it, hang in there with me. It's, it's going to be relevant to some of the things that we're going to talk about. Now, the Decapolis is located on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's an area made up of 10 cities, all right? And it's an area that's populated by non-Jewish people and dominated by non-Jewish thinking and culture. All right? In fact, the Greek word for 10 is deca. So Jesus and his disciples, they're in this area that's dominated by Greek-speaking people, Greek culture. It is a, it's an area dominated by Gentile people and Gentile thinking. Which brings up our next question. What are Jesus and his disciples doing there? What are a good group of Jewish boys doing in this Gentile-dominated area? And this is something we talked about a little bit last weekend. We said at this point in Jesus' biography of his life, Jesus knows the cross is coming fast. He knows his disciples, they are not ready for him to leave. They are not ready for the job he's going to leave them with. And so Jesus tries to take a step back from Israel. He kind of goes on a tour of Gentile areas. And, and he's trying to get away from the crowds. He's trying to get away from the demands. He's trying to get away from everybody who's just, you know, pulling on his attention and his time and just get with his disciples. Get them ready for what's to come. But try as he might. Jesus, when he goes to these areas, even though they're not Jewish areas, people spot him. People recognize him. They've heard about what he can do, and so they come to Jesus asking for help. Now, in this instance, they bring Jesus a man who is deaf and who can't speak well. All right? So, so chances are this man at some point in time could hear. All right? He could hear well enough to pick up some impaired speech. And, and somewhere along the line, I don't know if there was an accident, I don't know if there was an illness, the, the hearing is lost. And he's left, now, now he is deaf and he's got this speech impediment. And they bring this man to Jesus and they just beg Jesus, would you put your hand on him? We've heard what you can do. Would you make this guy better? Now up to this point, this isn't terribly unusual, especially if you're familiar with the life of Jesus. But this is where things begin to get weird. All right? Mark tells us 
Jesus pulls a man aside. All of a sudden, Jesus has his need for privacy. And when he gets the man aside, Jesus sticks his fingers into the guy's ears. And then Jesus spits on his hand, takes his saliva-covered fingers, and starts grabbing the guy's tongue. And then Jesus looks up into the heavens and and says to the man, be opened. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some weird kind of stuff. And we'll just take it a piece at a time, right? Jesus, again, pulls the guy aside, gets all alone with this guy. All right? What's what's with the need for privacy? Because if if you're familiar with Jesus' miracles, Jesus performs his miracles in front of small groups, medium groups. Jesus, he's performed just all kinds of miracles in front of mobs. Why all of a sudden does Jesus pull this guy all alone by himself? Well, if you begin to think through it, you can ask the question, all right, is Jesus doing this for his benefit or for somebody else's benefit? And if Jesus has healed countless numbers of people at this point in the gospel, you know, in small groups, large groups, and and in mobs, chances are Jesus isn't doing this for his own benefit. Jesus didn't suddenly develop a need for privacy himself. Chances are Jesus is probably doing this for this man's benefit. Let me explain. Our man is deaf. That means he can't hear. Brilliant deduction on my part. I know that's why you come on Sundays, all right? But here's the thing. When somebody loses one of their senses, it oftentimes heightens their other senses. So while this, can't, while this man, he cannot hear, he sees way better than most hearing people do. And he sees things that hearing people assume he doesn't see. He he sees the stares. He sees the finger pointing. He can't hear it, but he's well aware of the snide remarks. He's well aware of the unhealthy center of attention that he oftentimes is. What if in pulling this man aside, Jesus is trying to protect his dignity? What if he's trying to minimize the gawking and the pointing and, and the, the, the center of attention that, that is not comfortable for this man to be? What if in pulling this man aside, Jesus is being incredibly compassionate to this man and his feelings? Now, even if that makes sense, it still leaves you with some pretty weird stuff. Like the next one is, once he gets this man alone... Jesus is cramming his fingers into the guy's ears. And I don't know about you, but I read that, and I'm like, Jesus, is this some kind of joke or something? Like, is this like a, you know, first century wet willy? You know, what, what are we doing here? Everybody's familiar with the concept of a wet willy? Right. Just in case, all right, I heard a no, so here you go. Um, thank you for somebody telling me no, it, it sets up the story that I'm going to tell. Uh, wet willy is when you stick your finger into somebody's ears. You can do a double barrel wet willy, so you can do two fingers into one of each of their ears. And the thing that makes it a wet willy is you moisten your finger before you stick it into somebody's ear. Now, traditionally, the acceptable agent for moistening your finger is a little bit of saliva, all right? However, you don't have to use saliva for it to be an effective wet willy. 
For example, when, when I was in college, I worked at TGI Fridays. And when I worked at Fridays, I worked there with a buddy of mine named Brett. And for some reason that completely escapes me, there was a young lady who worked there with us named Katie. She was one of the servers there. And I don't know why, but Katie felt compelled to torture Brett and I. Um, and as hard as it is for some of you to believe, when Katie would torture me, I felt compelled to torture Katie back. Um, Brett was the ringleader in that, but we're here at church. I will be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I was a willing participant in some of the retaliation. So when Katie got especially rambunctious, what we would do is we'd wait for her to go into the kitchen. And when she was in front of the salad bar, I would hold Katie's arms down and Brett would give her a double wet willy with honey mustard salad dressing. All right. It was every bit as effective as saliva, all right? And so you got to moisten your finger with something. Saliva, it's a go-to. It's there, but it can be anything, right? So Jesus is sticking his fingers in this guy's ears, right? And, and then Jesus, again, he, he spits on his hand. I'm like, Jesus, I, like, that's not even sanitary. Hey, are, are you, have you been reading what the CDC has been putting out, Jesus, all right? And then he's putting it on the guy's tongue, right? He, I mean, he, he, he pulls the guy aside. He's all the privacy. He's sticking his fingers in the ears. He's got, you know, one ear and a finger. He spits on his hand. Another ear, you know, clamped on the guy's tongue. And then Jesus is looking up to heaven, <sighs> sighing, and saying to the deaf man, be opened. I'm like, what is this? Well, here's the thing. If Jesus is going to communicate to this deaf man, he's going to need to do so in language that this deaf man can understand. If Jesus is going to let him know what's going to happen, as opposed to just doing it to him, Jesus needs to speak this man's language. What if in putting his fingers into his ears, he's helping this man understand, hey, I'm going to make it so you can hear again. For years now, your ears have not worked properly. We're about to take care of that. Or what if in spitting and touching this man's tongue, again, he's communicating? Because here's the deal. Especially in Gentile areas, in that time, spit was considered to have healing properties. I get in our day and age, it's the elixir of death, Right? In that time, it was considered to be a healing agent. What if in spitting on his hands and touching this man's tongue within it, he's letting him know, hey, you haven't been able to talk right your entire life. We're going to address that right now. And again, in a place and among a group of people where they had all kinds of crazy ideas about how healing worked and where that came from, what if... What if in looking up to heaven and sighing deeply and speaking to a man who probably to some degree can read lips, what if Jesus is trying to communicate to him what is about to happen in your life? This is the power of heaven on display for you. All this crazy stuff you've heard about where healing comes from and how it works, I want you to understand Heaven is moving on your behalf. What, what, if, what if what on the surface seems just bizarre to us is Jesus being compassionate 
and Jesus communicating clearly to someone what's about to happen in their life. Again, you have these stories in the New Testament and in the Old Testament where you, you, you read them and you're like, this is just weird. But you begin to dig beneath some of the culture and the history and the context and all of a sudden it begins to make a little bit more sense. And what if what Jesus is doing here, it isn't just meant to make sense then. What if it's meant to communicate to us about our lives today? What, what if Jesus is trying to point us to what it looks like to get a job done well, a job that involves other people, to get that job done well as you do it in the midst of other people? See, here's the thing. Whenever there's a job to be done in life, and, and other people are involved, there are two factors, two functions that wise people, successful people, pe people who have intact relationships, they take into account in the midst of that. Those factors are task and process. Go ahead and look, look at the person next to you and tell them task and process. Let, let's unpack these just a little bit here, all right? We'll start with task. Task is all about successfully accomplishing the job that's at hand. Task is all about successfully accomplishing the job that's at hand. All right, so, so for example, we got Faith Kids going over in this side of the building. In fact, this is the first weekend we've got preschool open in Faith Kids. They're rocking it over there. So Faith Kids is happening. And with Faith Kids, all right, um, there's a task, there's a job to get done. And so task, when it comes to faith kids, it asks questions like, is there enough space back there? Are all the kids socially distanced? Are there enough teachers? Um, uh, you know, are we presenting the curriculum appropriately? Are the kids uh, understanding the material? Can the kids, you know, like, can they respond and, and repeat, you know, this is what they, you learned today in kids' church. Is the security good, you know? Did we have anybody wander back there that shouldn't have wandered back there? Did we have any kids escape over the course of the service, Right? Security breakdowns in kids' church are never good. For example, my son was about two and a half years old. We are sitting in church. We are celebrating communion. It's one of those quiet, contemplative moments in church. You know, and so they're, they're passing the elements throughout the rows, and I'm trying to focus my attention. Okay, who was Jesus? How did he live? Let me remember him. Let, let, let me be grateful and thank him. And, you know, that he died on the cross to pay a price for my sin. I could not pay myself. I have access to forgiveness and redemption and new life. And I'm right in the midst of this contemplative time, and I hear the door to the worship center get kicked open, and I hear these little feet, pitter-patter, 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 and I hear this little voice shout out, get me my mom, right? And I start praying, dear God, that is the voice of my child, right? Who is not yet three years old and has broken out of kids' church, right? When security fails, you have a task failure back there in kids' church. And so, so, so task is all about, hey, did we get the job done? How did it go? Did we get it done well? And so on one hand, you have task. On the other hand, you have process. And process asks, how did we interact with each other as we got the job done? How did things go relationally as we got this job complete? 
And so again, you, you go back into faith kids, and, and the task is important. But it's not all about task, it's also about process. And so process asks questions like, hey, how did the kids feel while they were back there? Did they feel loved? Did they feel valued? Did they feel safe? How did communication go? Did we listen to each other? Did we speak in turn? Did, did people feel heard? You know, how, how, what are our relationships? Are relationships different now that we've spent time together? For, for the time that we spent together back in Faith Kids, is my relationship with you stronger or weaker having spent that time together? The process is all about, hey, how, how did we interact with each other as we got the job, as we got the task accomplished? Now again, you go back to the narrative, and with Jesus, you see both of these things in play. There's a job to get done, and there's people who Jesus is interacting with as he gets the job done. And in Jesus, you don't just find somebody who gets the job done. You don't just find somebody who, who focuses exclusively on the people at the expense of the job. In Jesus, you find somebody who, who sees the value in and lives well into both task and process. So again, you, you go back to the narrative, there's a job to get done. The man's deaf, the man can't speak. The job is to make the man hearing and, and to, to take care of the speech impediment. Jesus doesn't just do the job. He could have gone in there, touched the man. I mean, he's healed countless numbers of people, some of them from a distance, doesn't lay eyeballs on them, some of them with a word, some of them just with a touch. He, he could have just touched the guy. And the guy, it, we'd have been done. Job complete. But Jesus doesn't do that. Again, he pulls the man aside, tries to protect his dignity, goes through this whole song and dance to try and communicate to this man what is going to happen to him before it happens. Jesus goes to great lengths to take into consideration people and their feelings in the midst of the job at hand. And Jesus does so because people and their feelings matter to him. Jesus takes process into account. And I would argue that Jesus takes process into account also because he wants to maximize the impact that he has on the job that he's trying to get done. Think about it. If Jesus would have just healed the man, I, some of the things that took place in this man's life wouldn't have taken place. When Jesus gets done, not only can this man hear, not only can this man speak, I would argue that this man is going to walk away with a sense of dignity and respect and self-worth. All things that his disabilities had been eroding from his life all things that Jesus' attention to process begin to restore to his life. The impact goes beyond just his ability to speak and hear. It's multiplied many times over because Jesus pays attention to process. Not only so, though, but Jesus pays attention to task. Jesus isn't just nice to the guy. He doesn't just protect his dignity. He doesn't just communicate to him about what's going on. Jesus gets the job done. And he does it with excellence. Because excellence is important to Jesus. Again, just think about it. If, if Jesus is nice to the guy and he communicates, and then he doesn't do anything about the problem at hand, how much impact, 
How much gratitude, how much life change does our deaf man experience? If that's the case, he walks away with a whole lot of, hey, thanks for being nice and giving me a bunch of empty promises and not doing anything for me, Jesus. Now, as Jesus interacts with this man, it's not just task, it's not just process. Jesus values both and lives well into both. So, going back to Faith Kids. In Faith Kids on a given Sunday, Pastor Laura and her team will take a step back after each Sunday and go, okay, were we successful in Faith Kids this weekend? And, and so as they do that, they're considering both of these functions. So, so like they could, they could be skewed on the side of task. They could frog march kids back there. You know, they could make them sit down, duct tape them to the floor, make them listen to the lesson, even get them to regurgitate answers. But if all they do is focus in on task, they would consider that a failure. Because when your child goes back to faith kids, Pastor Laura and her team, among other things, they're trying to help your child have an interaction with God's spirit and an interaction with God's people. And if all you do is focus in on task, you don't accomplish those things. If all you do is focus in on task, faith kids gets reduced to a glorified babysitting service. And that's just unacceptable to Pastor Laura and her team. So they focus in on process. But they don't just focus in on process at the expense of task. Because while they want your child to have an interaction with God's spirit and with God's people, they want your child to have an interaction with God's truth as well. And that doesn't happen if you ignore task. If, if, if you get back to faith kids and it's just, well, we just all want to feel good and we just all want to be nice to each other and there are no wrong answers and everybody's a winner and nobody ever loses and we're just going to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya. If that's what we let it become, Pastor Laura and her team, they would be failing to, to partner with you as parents in discipling your children. And that's equally unacceptable to them. And so as they, as they look at, at Faith Kids on any given Sunday, they're going, hey, did we live into task and process well? Because both of these things matter. So, as we begin to wrap this up, by way of application, let me ask you to be just a little bit self-aware. Ask yourself, am I a task person or am I a process person? Because this is a lot like the Truth and Love series. We all tend to be one or the other. We all have a natural bent, a natural leaning towards one or the other. And, and all of us have a propensity to lean into the one that we are at the expense of the other. And in doing so, fail to follow the example that Jesus leaves us here in Mark 7. So, so by way of application, ask yourself, am I a task person or am I a process person? And, and if you are a task person, if you're one of these people who, who think things or say things like, hey, there's a job to get done, we're going to get it done well, we're going to get it done on time. I, I, I don't want to hear it, I don't want the excuses, suck it up, cupcake, pull your share of the load, save the drama for your mama, let's go. If that's you and, the, and that little speech just brings joy to your heart, I love you. I thank God for you. 
because stuff wouldn't get done without you. But if that's you, if that's you, you need to understand, you need to remember, people and their feelings mattered to Jesus. If I'm a task person, people and their feelings should matter to me. And if I'm a task person, I need to work to, to, to incorporate process into my game. Because I'll naturally lean into task. And in doing so, forget about process. Now, if you're a task person, here's a little bit more motivation for you. Paying attention to process in the midst of the task will actually help you get the job done better. It will. Paying attention to process in the midst of the job will actually make you more productive. And here's why. When the people you are working with, when they genuinely sense that they matter to you, that who they are as individuals and their feelings, that you care about that, they are more productive than when they just sense they're just another cog in the machine that you're running through. So if, if you're naturally a task person, I'm not mad at you, but lean into process. At the same time, if you're a process person, if you're one of these people who you're just like, you know, we're not so worried about the job, let's just connect. Let's, 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 just, let's, just, let's just get closer to one another. Let's focus in on our relationships. I mean, I, I, let's have a nice breaker, a mixer if you would. All right, here's what we're going to do. Everybody in the room, find somebody whose social security number ends in the same digit as yours and share with them, if you were an ice cream cone, what flavor would you be and why? If that's you, I love you too. And I thank God for you. Because it would be a cold and ugly world without you. But remember... Excellence mattered to Jesus. And if excellence mattered to Jesus, it should matter to us. And if you're by nature a process person, that's okay. But work on adding some task to your game. Because it's easy to lean into process and to forget about getting the job done well. And here's, here's some motivation for you. Here's some motivation. Paying attention to process in the midst, paying attention to task in the midst of the process is good for relationships. Because here's the deal when I'm so focused on process that I let the task go by the wayside and we do a crummy job, the people I'm working with feel like I've wasted their time and ask them to live with substandard results. And that's never good for relationships. There's task, there's process. Jesus focuses in on both. To follow him is to do the same. So there's Mark 7. On the surface, seems weird. Jesus all of a sudden has his need for privacy. He's sticking his fingers in people's ears. He's spitting all over the place. He's saying things out loud to deaf people. You dig beneath the surface, though, and there's more to it. There's truth that makes sense, truth that's relevant for our lives. So make sure you join us next week. We're going to jump into the Old Testament and some more stories and have a good time as we do. But as we move forward, would you pray with me, please? Father, again, just thank you for Jesus. And um, just for the 
ever-present example and relevance for our lives that he provides us with. Father, for those of us who are just naturally uh, task-minded, help us to see that. And uh, help us to see how you valued people, how you valued their feelings, and to work to live into that ourselves. Father, if we are naturally just process people, help us to see how you value excellence. And the jobs that we get done, they're a form of worship to you, and you deserve our best. Help us to live into that well. And Father, just as, as we've talked about following Jesus today, for any of us here, if we haven't gotten to this place where we realize there is a Savior who came, who lived a life that we cannot live ourselves. So often it's so easy to look at what Jesus did and, and just find ourselves overwhelmed with one more thing that we're not doing right. But there's a Savior who came to show us the way, to die in our place, to make right what we could not make right ourselves, who invites us to surrender our lives to him, to find freedom and forgiveness and reconciliation power that comes from his spirit living inside of us. And so for some of us today, Father, whether we are worshiping online or right here in person, we just acknowledge we need a Savior. That we have sinned, we are broken, we cannot make this right ourselves. We need Jesus. In this moment, we surrender all of who we are to him. Help us, please, to begin this journey where we follow him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.